You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. All right, so I'm going to start you off with a quote. This is by a guy named Robert Mosbacher, and I'll tell you why he's important later. But he said the uh, Department of Commerce is, is a quote, nothing more than a hall closet where you throw throw in everything that you don't know what to do with. Now he's spot on. Now he probably sounds like a guy who must really hate the Department of Commerce and must be some kind of anarchist and just hate the government. Oh, no, wait, he's the, he was the Secretary of Commerce. So as a guy who worked for him, telling you that it's an unnecessary institution, this is very similar to my last episode where we talked about the Department of Agriculture. It's a, it's a waste, and we're going to t- today, we're going to talk about why the Department of Commerce is a waste. Welcome to We Are Libertarians Daily. I am Hody Johns, and I'm just so excited to tell you why the Department of Commerce sucks terribly. So it's one of the oldest institutions. Now, unlike the Department of Agriculture, where it's grown to the size where you're paying over $1,000 a year per family on this, on this institution, you're really only paying $100 a year for the Department of Commerce. That being said, it could be the most dangerous institution in the United States. So let's do some digging and we're going to find out why. Now, obviously, one of the, uh, one of the fa- famously, we decided to establish a commerce clause in the Constitution, one of our earliest amendments, giving Congress the power to mess with commerce and regulate commerce a little bit. Because of a series of court cases, of course, that's gotten wildly out of control. But that actually has little to do with the department and more to do with the justice system. So we're going to stick with ripping on the Department of Commerce for now. But either way, they were established very early. And their biggest field when they were established early is to keep lighthouses running. Now, you might ask why we would need somebody to keep the lighthouses running. Because that seems a little silly. Uh, They're pretty easy to run. And they're just lighthouses. Well, you might remember that the United States was once financed by a single form of taxation. And that single form of taxation was tariffs on our imports and exports. So when we place a tariff, well, I'm sorry, tariffs are only on our imports, but we tariff our imports. We say, okay, we're just going to take a cut of everything that you're going to sell here that comes in. Now, tariffs are a tax. I don't care what Donald Trump says or what anybody on the right would tell you. But when it's a single form of taxation and you don't have to worry about income tax, say, "Ah, okay, you know, I, I don't have to worry about all these other little sales taxes and getting nitpicked. The tax is already done. Uh, the... The Cayman Islands actually is financed this same way today. There is actually zero tax, property tax, sales tax, otherwise, except for an import tax in the Cayman Islands, which I believe is why Bernie Sanders owns uh, a home out there because it's a great investment property because you don't have to pay on it. You can just have it and it's all yours. And as long as you're not importing anything, it's great land. So this is something that actually wealthy nations do and when back when, when we were the undisputed wealth of the world, this is what we did as well. And so lighthouses were seen as this government need to regulate and make sure that they were financed. Why? Well, because if I'm bringing in something that's going to be tariffed by the government, the government should be responsible for making sure that my ship doesn't wreck on the shores. Obviously. So I'm going to charge them with that. Congress said, you know what, that's fair. We're taking whatever percent of everything you bring in here anyway. Back then it was like 
10 to eight, you know, eight to 10%. It's gotten widely out of control now, but back then that they were said, you know, fine. All right. We will let the, you know, we'll have some of our taxes finance taxes that we actually take from you finance those lighthouses and you don't have to worry about the lighthouses. Well, eventually modern technology comes along. Not even that modern, but we stopped needing lighthouses so much because of navigational charts in the mid-1800s. So, you know, of course, we just got rid of the Department of Education, right? Because that would be the smartest thing to do when you no longer need to finance something. You just get rid of it. Oh, no, wait. We didn't get rid of it all. In fact, the patent office, which was doing just fine on its own as something of a private entity, we decided to make it a government entity. And with the Department of Commerce pretty much being irrelevant and running out of things to do, in the 1800s, we decided to give them, the government, the ability to regulate patents under this old Department of Commerce, which used to be for lighthouses, but now we're going to use it for patents and making sure that your intellectual property doesn't get stolen. Now, intellectual property is something we'll debate later uh, or maybe never, but definitely on a different episode because that's something that libertarians love to fight about. We're going to kind of avoid that, uh, that confrontation, and we're going to keep talking about what happens to the Department of Commerce. Eventually, they, uh, let's see here, they go into fisheries and make sure that all the fisheries are, are, are being being properly regulated. Now you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a department for that them. That sounds like it should be agriculture or the interior. Well, you're correct, but uh, it, it, there were some scandals involved with it, with the interior. And so because the Department of the Interior stole a bunch of money from this, from regulating this, they gave it to the Department of Commerce, which of course is so much better about not stealing money. They're really good about it. And we'll actually get into that into the late 1900s uh, when we follow this, this, this line of just perfection from the Department of Commerce and how great they are about staying above all of that. Uh, so, so yeah, they take over the fisheries after the Department of the Interior steals a bunch of money there. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, Expands it again, of course, to, to help oversee some of that uh, in 1901, to help oversee some of those national parks. He wants to refer to the parks as industries instead of, you know, public goods or private businesses. And so to do that, well, there's a Department of Commerce. And so obviously it makes a lot of sense that if we're measuring commercial and industrial activity, that falls into the category of national parks. So the Department of Commerce, of course, is tasked with regulating and making sure everyone pays for these national parks because we don't want anybody using public land for free that they already pay taxes for. That would be ridiculous. So, of course, they're the ones that make sure that you pay your fees to get into parks that you already pay for. So, <laughs> if that doesn't sound like government, I don't know what does. Uh, the Department of Commerce officially is born in 1913. They gave it some other various names before, but they just changed the name to the Department of Commerce uh, to separate it from the Department of Labor, which is actually what it used to go under in 1913. Because the Department of Labor in 1913, you might recall, oh, those are the Woodrow Wilson years. Oh, the economy was really bad. And people looked badly on the job that the Department of Labor was doing. So they split it up into a Department of Labor that could just focus on labor forces and the Department of Commerce. Because, of course, creating two government institutions 
that were, you know, when they were together as one, were just ridiculously inefficient. Splitting him into two parts means that they'll be a lot more efficient and communication will just flow a lot better between those two. Uh, spoiler alert, that doesn't actually end up happening. Uh, let's see here. In 1918, they start establishing pensions. So when we talk about the pensions getting everybody into trouble. Now, the Department of Commerce isn't responsible for paying them. They're simply responsible for establishing them. So while today you might say, well, the Department of Commerce, if they only cost me $100 a year, I guess they're, they're only a little bit wasteful. It's not too big a deal. Well, unfortunately, it is a big deal because what they do is they establish these pensions and then expect somebody else to pay it out. So they say, hey, we struck a deal that we don't have to pay on. We made it so that we talked with these guys and these guys and these federal workers. And finally, we've got to a place where we can, we can buy out, uh, we, can, we can spend a lot of money buying out these people's retirements and paying them a lot more than they even made while they were working. Now, it's a great deal for me as the Department of Commerce because I don't have to pay it. Oh, but I feel like there's this other group in the United States that has to pay whenever we guarantee pay, even if we can't afford it. Oh yeah, the American taxpayers have to pay for it. Oh man, what's the sixth highest thing we pay for that we go into debt for here in America? Oh, federal pensions. Oh, so the Department of Commerce, by guaranteeing these federal pensions, has created a huge amount. I mean, we're talking $300 billion a year just in debt. And then it's going to get even bigger if we were to actually not go in debt for it and actually pay people what we promised we would pay them. We're behind on the payments right now, which is weird to say thank goodness of, about because if we paid them on time and paid everything we promised we would pay them, America would no longer exist. At least our economy would no longer exist. We'd be very bankrupt. But, you know, thankfully, we're behind on their payments. We defer them. We cross some people off. We lose their checks in the mail. A little bit of fraud here and there. And because of that, we can still manage to keep the, these, uh, these pensions being paid out just at a debt, which really is something that our grandkids have to pay. So we don't have to worry about that too much. So that starts establishing in the 1918 for those old lighthouse workers. And it keeps expanding, of course, to radio DJs and, and DMV workers. And, uh, well, of course, we can't forget our congressmen, especially our local congresspeople. They work so hard. They get elected for eight years. You know, they serve their, their counties for eight years. Those are hard, uh, hard eight years. You deserve to get at least a million dollars for working eight years for your county. As your servant of the county, of course, it only makes sense that they get paid more than every single per person working in that county, right? Oh, a little bit of sarcasm here and there. But of course, the point of these is to, uh, to let my rage go. Oh, man. When we talk about the census, this is something that the Department of Commerce took over. Now, we as libertarians often don't like the idea of somebody measuring exactly what we're doing and who we are and don't like, you know, telling the government if we're gay or straight or white or Asian or whatever. We don't feel like it's any of their business. Now, why would we do that? Oh, yeah, because the Bureau of the Census, which was started by the Department of Commerce, told the federal government where all the Japanese Americans were. And what did we do with all those people that admitted they were Japanese Americans? Oh, in 1942, 
we rounded up 120,000 of them and put them in internment camps. All thanks to your Department of Commerce, we couldn't have done it without them because we wouldn't have known where to find them. Thankfully, the American people were honest enough to tell us about their ethnicities. And because of their honesty, we made sure that they were jailed and locked up and ripped apart from their families. So that is also thanks to the Department of Commerce. Let's, let's skip ahead a little bit. We're in this modern era now. People are, the census is going out of business. Lighthouses are no longer relevant. So what do we do? Uh, well, we, for briefly, we gave them the national technical information, but that really didn't work. Oh, global warming. So to measure global warming, we put the Department of Commerce in charge of the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, and they measure the temperatures that tell us whether the planet is heating up or cooling down. There's three distinct, uh, I'd say companies, but entities in charge of measuring them. Two of them are actually owned by the government, uh, and this is one of them. And so this is actually what they spend the most money on today, is telling the temperature all around the world and telling us what the temperature is. Now, why would that be the Department of Commerce's business? Well, everybody loves Richard Nixon, one of America's best presidents. And the deal was is he didn't get along with his Secretary of the Interior. And because of that, this big project that should have gone to the Secretary of the Interior because they're in charge of, you know, things like making sure America doesn't get too hot and burn up, he gave it to the Department of Commerce because he didn't get along with the Secretary of the Interior. It's never gone back to the interior. Department of the Interior has nothing to do with measuring, me measuring how hot the, the country is getting. The Department of Commerce does. So, man, I'm trying to think. If your job is primarily commerce and making money and printing out cash, and you are in charge of then hiring scientists and making thermometers all over the place and measuring whether the world is getting hotter or cooler, or the same temperature, if you were to release a study that says that things aren't so bad, you probably wouldn't get as much money. Well, the Department of Commerce is aware of that, and so of course they had a massive scandal in which they forgot to get their things peer-reviewed, they lied about their statistics, and they published something that said the world would end in 12 years. They've done this several times now, but most notably they did it uh, let's see, just a couple of years ago, and you might hear still, still hear people say about the Green New, New Deal, the world won't be around in 12 years if we don't act now. This is based on faulty information that's already been disproven by the, uh, let's see here, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Activity. Uh, the Department of Commerce has already admitted they messed up. We screwed up, but it's out there, and unfortunately, they didn't work too hard on reeling it back in, because if they do, they get less money. You see how this works, especially if you're in the, in, in the business of commerce. Now, I'm not saying that global warming isn't real. Man is super powerful. That's one of the things that I love about humans. So, of course, we have the power to impact the environment around us and the atmosphere above us. It's just one of those things about being humans. We're powerful. With that power comes responsibility. But when you give the power of measuring those things to someone who's incentivized to say that the world is going to end, and they predicted the end of the world I mean, more times than a Christian podcaster, they predicted the end of the world, and it's never happened. Maybe it's time to say, I think you guys have an incentive to lie, and maybe we should take that incentive away from you. This is their number one area of spending. So we get to the 80s and the 90s, and of course, I told you that these guys are immune to 
ever doing anything that would be scandalous or that could be bribed. This is the Department of Commerce we're talking about. They have to be honest. So in 1993, they did an investigation because there seemed to be some money. Oh, the Clintons were in charge, by the way. I know this is going to surprise you to find out that they were involved, but Bill Clinton uh, and his secretary, Ron Brown, they, 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 did, they had a little, little snafu because they had an investigation that unfortunately became public. And this is a quote from that investigation. <clears throat> Coveted slots on U.S. foreign trade missions generated a major fundraising bonanza for the Democratic Party. End quote. Those coveted slots were on the U.S. Department of Commerce. You guessed it. So they raised a bunch of money for the Democratic Party under the guise of the Department of Commerce. They took some money from taxpayers and paid it to the Democratic Party. This, of course, was a mistake. In 1998, U.S. Judge Royce Lambert determined that Commerce officials systematically concealed and destroyed the documents relating to the Brown trade mission scandal. So, of course, they made a mistake again. It took us five years. We found out they did. Now, thankfully, we did find out that they did do this thing. So they destroyed the evidence just so that it couldn't become public. It was actually to save face. They actually already got prosecuted and found guilty uh, in federal court. Now, of course, these are the Clintons, so they were pardoned. They shouldn't spend a day in jail just because they stole millions of dollars from taxpayers and put it into help getting the Clintons elected. That would be ridiculous. So, of course, they got pardoned. There was some executive privilege used to make sure that we couldn't even investigate this. But when it was about to become public, they did decide to shred all of the evidence. From that ruling, Judge Royce Lambert said <clears throat> he compared the behavior of uh, commerce officials to that of quote, con artists and scofflaws, and pointed to the flurry of documented shredding in the secretary's office. The scandal illustrates the dangers of entangling the government in promoting private business interests. Well, isn't that a surprise that the Clintons supported their private business, Whitewater anyone, as, as well as many other Democratic donors, by the way. It wasn't just the Clintons involved. They were just involved as you know, the Clintons, probably just lightly involved in helping making sure that they could steal millions of money and they funneled it through millions of dollars and they did it through the Department of Commerce. This keeps going. We have, in 2008, they found that 10% of the department's budget was just earmarks, just given to politicians because we said, hey, if you sign this, we'll do this. Okay, we'll do this. This is what really today makes the Department of Commerce the most dangerous. Many of you on the show have heard me talk about why the, the currency in our system is so important, so important to talk about and understand why and where it comes from. Because I think when we understand that, we'll understand how ridiculous it is, is to have a government in charge of putting money out that, the pri that is supposed to match what the private sector develops. That's a, that, that's a whole conversation for a different day, but let's break this down. If you go into Google right now, you type in the biggest lobbyists in Washington, who do you imagine? You probably heard of the NRA, I'm sure, uh, what, what uh, uh, the Amazon's probably on there someplace, and you would be very wrong. Number one, by just under three, time, three times the second place lobbyist, when we're talking money given to politicians, in the forms of favors, or even just raw cash. The number one 
number one lobbyist is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They bribe politicians $1.5 billion every year to vote how they want. The biggest briber in our government today is our own government. Let that settle for a second. Second place is the Association of Realtors at just over half a, half a million dollars. This is $1.5 million. So for all that worrying we have about these big businesses, buying out our politicians' votes, and, and they buy out the votes. I could talk about the lobbying list all day and how much money they spend buying out the vote, votes. None of them even holds a candle to the volume of money that our government, through the Department of Commerce, spends giving our politicians in cash to vote the way they want. Politicians literally bribe themselves to vote through the Department of Commerce, through the Chamber of Commerce. This is raw cash. This isn't just favors, people. When the Department of Cash, when the Department of Com Commerce pays you out, they bribe you with hard cash. This is enough. If you think about $1.5 million divided among, say, every politician, just all of them, you go, you go to, or I'm sorry, 1.5, not million, $1.5 billion divided among all of the representatives, all of the president, all of his cabinet, all of, all of the Supreme Court. I mean, this is a mansion for each one we're talking about every year with one department. It's absolutely ludicrous the amount of money that we let them get away with stealing from the American taxpayer. We talk about commerce. Commercial activity. The reason we are so adamant on it being private sector is because when it's public sector, it becomes corrupt almost immediately, and we can't get rid of it. The Department of Commerce, as you've seen through this timeline, has frequently had the opportunity to be dismissed, gotten rid of. We don't need them anymore. And yet every time we find something for them to do, because we just have to keep them around for some reason, whether it's global warming or, or, printing, or printing money that we, that we somehow lose all the time and always ends up in the hands of these foreign terrorists or, or just, you know, scandals. We, we just need it around to help us cover for something, but we, but we don't anymore. And I just got to close by telling you, we have to get rid of the Department of Commerce for the sake of commerce.